descriptors of how we're supposed to look. And the world should be able to look in and see us and see them in us without any problem. God needs us to develop all of these things in our life, all these qualities we're going to talk about over the next few weeks to have maximum impact on a lost and a dying world that's around us. Today we're going to look at the first two, Matthew 5. We looked at salt and light, which is down toward the end. Well, today we're going to go back to the front and look at, at those two. The title of the message is The Dependent and Those Who Mourn. Remember last week we talked about salt and light? If you missed that, I would encourage you to go to our website, rocjinx.org or .com, and uh, look at the uh, website. There's a button that says Online Features. Touch that, and then the sermons come up, and they're uh, there by date and by title, and I'd love for you to give a listen to Salt and Light. Uh, that way you can stay caught up with us, and each week those are there so that you can stay caught up with us and, uh, if, you happen, if you have to miss. But I want to encourage you to listen to that because it, it sets the framework for our series, Salt and Light. Set that framework, and I, I would appreciate you doing that. And uh, any input you give, I always, I always love to hear from you. I very rarely hear from anybody. So if, if a message touches you or you just hate it, let me know that too. Uh, that way I can work on making it where you don't hate it anymore. Uh, not, not so much now, but you know, I'll, I'll try to do better. To be salt and light, we have to be distinct from the world. We have to look different from the world. And in doing that, we become a sign of the covenant that God has made with us. And God is saying, and we're saying to God, that our lives are going to be like billboards, like signs that people can look at, can see, can follow to lead them to eternal life. We're going to put on display the qualities of our unique king and our unique kingdom that invites people to come to be a part of this blessed revolution, to come into his kingdom. I mean, that's our whole reason to exist as Christ's followers is to bring others with us. Amen. And we need to do that. We need to be the kind of salt and light that Jesus was. He was the type that would attract tax collectors and prostitutes, and we need to be that type of people. We need to be willing to attract people who need Jesus. Amen? Doesn't matter where you come in life, doesn't matter what you've done in life, doesn't matter how much money you carry in your pocket or in your portfolio, doesn't matter. None of that matters. To, it only matters if you have Jesus as the Master and Savior and Lord of your heart. Amen? I'll pause. Amen? There you go. I, I was wondering if you're still out there. It's so dark not having these on. I can't see you anymore. <laughs> People who are pharisaical look down their nose at others. They call themselves salt and light, but boy, they, mm -hmm, they have a tendency to look down their nose at us, at some of us. We're not, we, need, we need not be that way. Who died and put you in charge? <laughs> Amen. Jesus is the one that we need to be focused on. Jesus is the one that brings us hope. Jesus is the one that brings us life. And if we become judges of others' sin, of course we do that to kind of make ours look a little less serious, huh? I'd rather judge your sin than mine. Amen. I mean, after all, you're really a sinner. Just ask me, I'll tell you. <laughs> right. Somehow it sets us up to be a morally superior person, really. 
Wow. All right, let's take a look. Matthew 5, 3, and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be what? Comforted. In the Bible, someone who was poor in the spirit meant that they were, they were depleted. Someone who was broken. Someone who was empty. It could refer to someone who was materially in poverty. But it could refer to anybody who was either rich or poor. Because these are people who have come to the end of all of their resources. They are completely depleted. The phrase, those who mourn. The best commentaries say that this refers to a specific kind of mourning that you would find in the Old Testament. Most of what Jesus says comes out of an Old Testament context. Those who mourn refer to the mourning of the Jews as they were in exile. You can read a lot about it in Isaiah. You find the phrases those who mourn, those who are in exile, those who are under pagan rule. So this phrase refers to those who have lost everything, those who live in a foreign land, those who are in exile. But I like the way the message puts it. Any of you have a copy of The Message by Eugene Peterson? It's a great paraphrase. It's a modern paraphrase. Years ago, it was the Living Bible. That was uh, Kenneth Taylor's version. Now, uh, is Eugene Peterson's. It's called The Message. And I'm telling you, you want, one, you want a Bible that's easy to read. I would encourage you to get The Message by Eugene Peterson. But here's how he puts verse 3. And Matthew, he says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. I understand that, don't you? With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. And only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Boy, I love the way that's put. Very easy to understand. You're at the end of your rope. How many of you would say I've experienced that at least once in my lifetime? been at the end of my rope. Awesome, awesome. Well, this message is for you. You'll understand it completely. Blessed are those who are poor in the spirit. You can no longer rely on your resources. You can no longer rely on your own ingenuity. You can no longer rely on your own strength to get things done. You're no bigger, I mean, you're no longer independent or self-reliant. Jesus says you're blessed if you find yourself like that. When you've lost those resources that have made you self-reliant, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says. He calls both groups blessed, and yet in our culture, we would call them cursed. It really takes us to the heart of the kingdom of God because it takes us to the heart of the fall. And that's foundational in understanding the rest of the Beatitudes. When the human beings fell in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve fell, our rebellion against God was really a declaration of our independence. Humans were created to be completely dependent upon God. That's the way Garden of Eden was made up. They didn't have to labor or toil or work. They could just get what they needed, except for one tree that had the fruit of one tree. They were supposed to stay away from it. It's like telling a child, do not do, and then you fill in the blank. What is a child's tendency to do? Go do what you told them not to do. Don't go dodge cars out on the freeway. They'll go dodge cars out on the freeway. Don't go kiss your sister. They'll go kiss their sister. Don't eat all that food. They'll sit there and hoard it with their arm around it while they're shoving it in. Don't touch that hot stove. 
God created us with a vacuum in our souls. And because he delights in pouring himself out and giving himself away, he creates beings that desperately need him so he can give himself away. It's a beautiful arrangement. His design is that he was supposed to pour himself into us. And as we get full of him, then we begin to overflow into each other. We become representatives of him toward one another. We model his love toward one another. That's really our job description. Live and love as though you have been loved. Then we overflow toward the animals and the earth as we have dominion over them. God placed us here for that. But the whole thing is predicated on our trusting him and believing in him. When we rebelled, Eve believed this deceptive picture of God that she could no longer trust God. So no longer, she could no longer trust God for life. She reached out and grabbed the forbidden fruit and the, uh, and the premise of the whole thing was that she thought she could do better than just depend on God. She thought she could do better. She thought that she would be wise like God. She thought she could actualize her full potential on her own by declaring independence from God. She was trying to be her own Lord. And that's the essence of all sin. I know better. It's okay. It won't hurt anybody. It only hurts me. Really? Really? Any sin is going to hurt someone else. Just say it. Amen? It will hurt somebody else. I hear... I hear people say all the time, well, I'm going to have an affair, and the reason I'm going to do that is because I'm so sick and tired of what's going on at my house. Well, then change you, and something might happen better at your house. Oh, it's not me that's the problem. It's him or her, right? It's always somebody else's problem. <laughs> Take ownership. Look in the mirror. Shape yourself up a little bit, and then you can see what might change in your relationship. When's the last time, guys, you told her how beautiful she was? Well, when I got married, I told her. Well, that's good. That's probably a good thing. Any time lately? When's the last time you took her out on a date? And just you, this is two of you, no kids. I don't have anybody to my, watch my kids. Oh, boy. Hire a babysitter. 1-800, come sit with my kids. Or if you're like Dennis the Menace's mother, they call and nobody, nobody answers the phone. The nature of our fallen position is that we are trying to be Lord of ourselves and it always gets us in trouble. Instead of getting all we need from God, we have this vacuum and instead of going to God to fill that vacuum, we try to fill it ourselves with things and stuff and people. And these become idols. And anything that tries to fill a role in our life that God can play becomes an idol. We try to under... Uh, we try under our own power to make ourselves feel important by the kind of car we drive, how much power we seem to have, or the type of clothes we wear, or maybe we're better looking, or we're more talented. I mean, after all, after all, I mean, I sing much better than anyone else. So why does anyone even want to sing, really? Right? What a beautiful song this morning. Delivered in such a beautiful way. The message, so powerful. You are more than I'm ever going to need. Does that not fit the sermon today? And we didn't know that. I called her and said, hey, by the way, Chris, I want you to sing this song because it's going to fit the sermon. No. She called me Wednesday and said, can I sing? I said, sure, what song? She told me. 
I, I listened to the song and I went, okay, all right. I think the Holy Spirit's at work here. Does it all the time, doesn't he? Does it all the time. But you see, we've got to be very careful in our holier-than-thou attitudes that we're not becoming idol worshipers. False ways, we're producing false light in our life. See, that little song we learned when we were kids, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. The problem is we keep turning it on ourselves and shining it in our own eye to make ourselves look better. The essence of life in this fallen world is what Paul says, it's life in the flesh. It's life lived as a lie, as though we are Lord of our lives and we're trying to do all this stuff independent of any of God's influence. The thing he wants to do, Paul says, is the thing he, doesn't, the thing he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the thing he doesn't want to do is what he is doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, he says, who will save me from this body of sin and death. See what I'm saying? Even Paul himself struggled. <laughs> There's hope for you and me. Life becomes a feeding frenzy where everyone is trying to get all the attention, the wealth, the riches, the reputation, whatever their idol is, they're trying to get it to the fullest. So they'll feel full. It's a feeding frenzy. They scramble to get the life that is full that God wants to give us for free. The truth is when this vacuum doesn't go away, we get addicted to those idols. We're addicted to that which we rely on to give us life. We're under this demonic delusion that we are in the process of being self-reliant and independent. But the truth is our striving to be independent, we are coming, becoming more and more dependent. We're addicts. We're totally dependent on whether we're noticed or getting the money or the wealth or the power or whatever gives you in life. We're totally dependent on that because this vacuum in our hearts is only something that God can fill because it's a bottomless vacuum. We never have enough. No matter how much power you get, you want more. No matter how much money you get, you want more. What's an 84-year-old woman going to do with $590 million? I'll bet you all of a sudden she's got more friends than she ever thought she had. I bet she's got men coming and knocking on her door wanting to take her out on a date. And some of these men are 22 years old. Oh, baby, you're the one I've been looking for all my life. I'll bet her family all of a sudden calls her grandma, don't they? They had other choice words to call her before now. They're addicted. You wonder why billionaires work 10 to, or 12 to 16 hours a day when they already have more money than they can spend in a lifetime because it's really not about the money. It's the meaning of the money that, that, that's important to them. It's what makes their life okay. It's what gives their life significance. You never have enough. If it's the attention you seek, you'll never have enough. Just because you have it today doesn't mean you're going to have it tomorrow. Can you see how exhausting that can be? Constantly having to work in whatever it is that gives you the sense of significance and feeding off these idols, it's never enough. Never enough. And unfortunately, because the world is, has a limited supply of whatever it is that you use to feel okay about yourself, because there's limited resources, we have to compete with each other for them. If there's somebody more beautiful in the room than you, and you've got to take care of that. You've got to nip it, tuck it, clean it, shine it. I don't know. Or you get rid of the person that's better looking than you. You kill them. You have no competition in, right? Amen? Yeah, get rid of them. Or you find them outside and you scar them up somehow so that they're not pretty anymore. And you're the pretty one. 
I sent a picture to my son. I put a shirt on it and gave me three years ago that Corey gave me, an OSU shirt. <laughs> That's why it's been in the closet. But anyway, OSU, OSU shirt. Well, I couldn't wear it three years ago. But I put it on the other day, and I had Cindy take a picture and send it to him, and he fires back, and he says, he looks sick, Mom. He needs to eat. <laughs> I thought, great. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. I haven't worn this jacket, by the way, in about 10 years, and I can actually button it in the front. It's, it's so much fun. So much fun. Went to my doctor about my knee. I thought, boy, he's going to let me. He said, 50 more pounds. I thought, oh, So I go, 50 more pounds, I won't have a knee to worry about. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you know, limited resources can put us in trouble. That's why people gossip. Don't you know that? They gossip so that they can somehow feel more important in their little pathetic life that they live. The source of all hatred, all conflict, all violence in this world is based on the fact that we compete with each other to get the idol that we think we need at that moment. Think about it. It's the source of all bloodshed. We're trying to be independent. We're trying to be self-reliant instead of trusting God and that causes all the misery we have in this world. They're in an uproar about the Miss World pageant being held in Indonesia. Muslim and Hindu religions rule that area of the world. And now, because of those religious beliefs, those women can't parade around in bikinis. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. They're going to have to come out in burqas. <laughs> so whoever has the prettiest eyes, you're going to win. Because that's all you get to see. Oh, wouldn't that be great? No, they get to wear a one-piece bathing suit. Oh, my goodness. Gone from bikinis to one-piece. I like the burqa idea. Let's see if they have any kind of light coming out of their eyes. Amen. Isn't it crazy how we are? Because we're in this fallen framework, this flesh framework, we tend to admire those who are independent, self-reliant, the winners in the idolatry game, we look down at the people who are needy. Tends to be the case, especially those living here in America. This country is founded on rugged individualism and rugged independence. We really admire that rugged independence and that individual that we have the right to liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. We have a right to do whatever we want to do and to protect our stuff. We have a right to our stuff and to have our boundaries. And if you step over that, I'll get a lawyer and I'll sue you. See, the IRS, all they're going to say is, gosh, you know, I'm sorry, I apologize. Well, the next time you get a letter from them, just call them and say, hey, I'm sorry. No big deal, right? That's what you said when you spent $55 million. Okay. Oh, they'll hound you. They'll come and strip you of everything you have. Amen? And now they're going to be involved in your health care. Isn't that exciting? So much fun. As Yakov Spirinov says, what a country. <laughs> All right, rugged independence. We admire it, but we have a tendency to look down on the needy. But you see, Jesus exposes that demonic deception that we're under when we think that this is really independence. So that's why he says, blessed are you when you don't have that. When you're at the end of your rope, when you feel like you've lost what you think is next to you, 
when you feel like an exile, when you feel empty, because now finally you can be filled with Almighty God. Blessed are you when you don't have stuff to cling to and now you're finally in a position where you can let go and let God. Now you're on the road that leads to eternal life. And when you have nothing to fill yourself with, now you can fill yourself with only God. Nothing to embrace. Now you embrace God. Now you're in the position that God created you to be. Where all of your needs are met by Him. And that's why Jesus said it's hard for rich folks to get into heaven. For, for power folks. For anyone who thinks that they can get there on their own without Jesus Christ. You see, the best thing that can happen to ourselves is to come to the end of ourselves. <laughs> To lose everything we think we have, to have the addiction we have, to be broken, to go through that withdrawal period where we mourn. That's the best thing that can happen is for us to lose the wealth, the beauty, the talent, whatever it is that we're relying on to feed ourselves that's causing us to focus on an idol. It's the best thing to lose, and whatever it is. Maybe you've seen the commercial of late where the lady's had throat cancer and she speaks through one of those voice boxes that's inserted in her, in her throat right here. It's a real garbled sound, and she says, Oh, I wish I would have sang songs and read um, nursery stories so my grandkids could hear that voice. This is the only voice that they've heard because she smoked for so long and the cancer just ate her up. But she couldn't put them down, could she? She couldn't stop, could she? So when we feel that need for God, it's got to make us wonder to question that common mantra that we cry out here in this country. America, we're so blessed because we have so much stuff. It must be a sign of favor from God that we've got so much stuff. We have so much food, so much wealth. Did you realize that we are becoming rapidly the the, the country that has the most natural resources of oil and natural gas Saudi Arabia is starting to sweat because we're not importing as much as we did 80% is going to be produced right here Wow now what are we going to do keep sending billions of dollars to Saudi Arabia to the Muslim countries hmm you see, God gave us so much. And if He gives you a lot, He expects a lot. He doesn't expect us to be greedy. He doesn't expect us to hold and hoard it onto ourselves. In fact, that's part of the blessing. Part of the kingdom way is that rather than it becoming a curse, it becomes a blessing because of what we do with it. It's what we do with it. You know, if you're out for lunch today, and you see a young couple with a family of children, why don't you buy their lunch? Just do it anonymously. Buy their lunch. You'll make their day. You see an older couple sitting there. Why don't you buy their lunch? It'll make their day. You see somebody sitting by themselves. Why don't you go invite yourself or invite them to join you? Better that. Invite them to join you. And visit with them. Get to know about their journey. Ask them, how's your journey? I'd love to know where, is the Lord a part of your life? Now they may throw food at you and hold a cross up to you or whatever. But you see what I'm saying? Become a blessing. Become a blessing. 
do you submit to the king or not? And the trouble is that Jesus and Paul warned us that there's something very addictive about wealth and about power. It takes a lot of character to have it and yet not feed off of it, to have it and yet, and yet totally rely on God. Not many people can do that. One of the, it's a great thing that our football team in high school won the state championship last year. The bad part of that is that they think they deserve it this year just because. Right, coach? That's the hardest part for the coach is to get them to bring their head out of the clouds and play football again. Because you see, just because you won it once doesn't mean you're going to get it twice. Sash Union High School. <laughs> they weren't supposed to lose last year. Ooh. Statistics on Americans is very telling especially evangelical Americans, they give about 3% of what they have away and keep 97% for themselves. We live at four times the global average and yet keep 97% of what we get for ourselves while there are people in the world and in our, near our homes that are starving. It's evidence of an addiction. Jesus teaches in order for us to come into the kingdom, we have to die to that type of life. We must die to our idol addiction, die to all that we once held as dear, die to our fierce independence and our rugged individualism, die to our rights. To come into the kingdom means we give everything over to the king and we become totally dependent on our king again. The condition for entering the kingdom is to give everything, including our whole lives, over to the Lord so that it becomes property of the king for him to use however he sees fit to advance his kingdom. We're not earning God's love. We've got it already. We're not achieving anything, getting brownie points with God. Hey, well, look what I've given up. No, not about that at all. It's what it means to have a right relationship with Him. We give it because we want to. We turn it all over to God as though He owns it, and in fact, He, own, he does own it. And to the degree we learn to act on that, we can't have a right relationship with Him. So do you see how it goes? Our verse earlier, Luke 14, 33 the latter part of that says this, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus calls on people to literally give up everything. He told that rich young ruler, go sell everything you have and give the proceeds to the poor. And the reason he, Jesus knew that is because he was seriously addicted. And the, way, the only way that he had any hope of coming into the kingdom was to go cold turkey, to sell it all and give it away, to stop right now. But for most of us, Jesus allows us to legally own things. His disciples legally owned some houses, some fishing boats, some clothes, but they understood that it wasn't theirs. God was giving, them, giving it to them on loan, and they got to use it. He gives everything to us and tells us that we can enjoy it and not feel guilty about it. But if He says to give it all away or to share it, and if we are in the kingdom, then we must give it away or share it because it's not ours to decide what to do with. It's His. It's all God's. Amen? It's not ours. It's all His. Give it away. Give it away. Cindy used to have our kids go through their toys Christmas time and, and find the toys. They could keep five and get rid of the rest of them that they weren't playing with. And then we'd sack them up and we'd take them to Goodwill or someplace and they would drop the sack off. And I would tell them, I said, you know, here's what's going to happen. How many toys are in that sack? And they'd tell me, I'd say, that's going to be a toy for every boy and girl who's not going to have one at Christmas time. They need to learn that. They need, and you let them take the sack, and you let them carry the sack, and you let them drop the sack. Because it's important that they learn to give stuff away. It's not theirs to have anyway. Give it away. The most fundamental posture of a kingdom person, what should I do with this that I have, 
should be the question that we're asking all the time. Should I enjoy it or should I give it, give it or share it with others to enjoy? If you have a massive TV, they make TVs now that, that you blow up on the screen outside and you can show it all outside. Wouldn't it be great if somebody had one of those? Bring it up here and let's have a, a Monday night football night here at the church. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be awesome. Come share that. Well, I've got this big old boat, preacher. We could go out on the boat. Well, invite us and we'll all come. All hundred of us, we'll come and get on your boat. See how good it is. Here we go. We ought to be willing to give it away. To the degree that we hold on to things that we think are ours, we have to go through this mourning process of giving them up. And it can be a mourning process when we're getting weaned from our idol addiction. It's not a pleasant experience. Spiritual disciplines are all about that. It can hurt. You have to die to yourself. It's like Paul says, I will crucify myself daily. I buffet my body daily like an athlete in training, which is not pleasant. But it's essential if we're going to be kingdom people because it means we surrender everything over to him. On top of that, there have been times and places in history that if you were to become a follower of Jesus, you'd be rejected by those who love you. And that creates a type of mourning where you lose your family ties and there are those who lose their freedom and are thrown into prison, beaten and tortured and even executed. So there's kind of a suffering that's going on. And that's going on today, folks, especially in Syria and the Middle East. Christians are being persecuted and killed and put in prison as we speak in the Middle East under religious intolerance. But not for you and me. We're called on to be tolerant, aren't we? Our faith is the only faith that can be maligned. You malign anybody else, they'll put you in prison. It's gotten to where we're in. We haven't gotten yet to where we're imprisoned and beaten or killed. But if you get too radical, family members will cut you off. You're not normal anymore. <laughs> you become fanatical. Start doing Christmas in a Jesus kind of way and gets people really upset. They may experience, and you may experience some rejection. That's a kind of mourning also. But you need to feel okay about that because remember you're an alien, you're a peculiar person. So this is an appropriate kind of mourning that we go through as Christ followers. Jesus calls all of us, and he calls all of this, blessed. It's radical because we live in a culture that wants to go through life with as little pain as possible, with as little mourning as possible. And so what Jesus calls blessed, the culture calls cursed. But this, folks, is about the blessed revolution. It's about when you lose everything, then you can gain the one thing that you really need. When you've died to all that life offers and now you're in a position to where you find life, real life in God. When you have become literally empty and now you can find out what it really is to be full. When you've surrendered everything that you once held dear, and now you're in a position to be embraced by the one who in truth is the dearest one of all. When you've made yourself poor, now you can find out what it really is to be infinitely rich. And when you've lost all your rights, you can find out what it means to have true freedom. And when you have gone through mourning, you can find out what it means to have true joy. And there may be a day in our near future when Christians are put under such pressure that you're going to have to stand and be counted. And it will cost you 
But will you find yourself ready? Will you find yourself able? Or will we keep feeding the frenzy game? I want to close with two questions. Number one, are you really at the end of your rope? Are you relying on yourself or on God? One sure way to know is if, if you're relying on God is this. He leads you out of your comfort zones. He continually leads you into things to do or people to see that's outside your comfort zone. And we all need to go there. We all need to go there. And that comfort zone is going to be different for every person, right? Yours may be one way. Mine may be another way. Billy's will be another way. Coach Bryant's will be another way. You see, we don't know what each comfort zone is, but God does. And so God's going to begin to channel us into those uncomfortable places. Don't shy away. Go there. Because it's telling you that God wants you to go deeper. God wants you to, he's proud of you. He believes in you. He believes in you. And he knows you can do it. He knows you can do it. The second question. It's a good exercise I encourage you to do on a regular basis. In prayer, I envision my life and I ask, what do I really own anyway? What do I really own anyway? In my prayer time, my personal time with God, I, I see myself saying, I'm owned by God. God owns me. And what I do, I, I really own. I, do I own it anyway? Do, do the stuff I have, is it really mine? Why don't I just give it away? If I have a book I've already read, why don't I give it to somebody else to read? Well, it's not going to come back to your library. That's great. One less thing I have to keep up with. Amen? Because if you move, then you've got to pack it up. If it's gone, yay! Why do we have garage sales get rid of junk? So give your stuff away. If you've already read it, give it away. Give it away. I see myself asking all the time, God, do I need that? Do I need it? Then I envision things like my reputation, position in the community. I give those to Jesus. I was so proud of our sisters down at, and brothers down at First Baptist here in Jesus. Opened their church building to, the, uh, to, to re- integration of soldiers from Afghanistan and their families. The church family lined the front area and applauded and shook hands and hugged necks of all those families as they walked up their sidewalk to go into the, to, to, to the meeting, to the reintegration uh, lessons. I love that. I'm going to send Rick a, an email tomorrow and just thank him for opening the doors of that church to allow those soldiers to come. I was so proud of Jinx. We did that. You see, we're part of the faith community, are we not? We don't go to that church, but we come here, but we're all a part of the faith community. We're all part of the kingdom, you see. And that's what we need to rejoice and celebrate. Amen. So do you have it anyway? Is it really yours anyway? And the one that was the toughest is when I had to sit down and God began to put Cindy in front of my face. And he said, is she mine or yours? Jeff, Corey, Mark, Misty, Megan, Amy, Kelsey, and Braden. It got tougher when I got to the end. It got really tough. 
But you know, every one of those I have to give to God. They're not mine. They're God's. Every one of the people in my life are God's people. They're not mine. I don't own them. I don't possess them. I don't keep them. I hope I get to see them a long, long time. But if one of them, heaven forbid, passes away too quickly, they're God's. And they get to go back and be with the Lord. Is that not exciting? Because they're not mine to start with. They're all God's. Father, I ask you this morning. I just kind of rambled on today. Not on my heart. To say to these wonderful people here. God, I love this church. I always have. I always will. But I love you more. God, as I've looked at my life and over the last uh, several months, <clears throat> I'm grateful that in October of 2012, you laid a burden on my heart. And you told me, as clear as, clear as you could tell me, through the prompting of your Holy Spirit, in my time of prayer and in my study of the Word, you told me that I was supposed to be an example of what you look like. And so God, I'm in the process of trying to change me enough to be a shining light, to put some stops in my life so that others might see you, to decrease myself and increase you by the words I choose to use, by the attitude I choose to display, by the way I drive a car. I want to be your man. I want to be your preacher. And I want more than anything for the people in this church to become passionate about that same thing. Less of us, more of you. Every seat filled, every soul touched, every person active, every way possible that we can make Jesus more important than ourselves. God, would we be become dependent to let you fill the void, fill the vacuum? And would we mourn because we've been so self-centered? We love you, Jesus. Maybe there's one person here today, one person that would say, I'm going to decrease, I'm going to let Jesus increase, 
And it'll take a lot of courage for them to do that, Lord. But I'm asking that you'll move in their heart. Touch them and prompt them. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have a decision to make this morning of any kind. You want to join our church or uh, talk about baptism. Please let us know that. We'd sure like to hear from you. Uh, we've got a class in just a few minutes for some that have already been invited to who are interested in joining the church. And so uh, one of the strategies that we're developing is that this class is an ongoing class and meets periodically uh, for that very purpose, to train and educate and give people the right knowledge to be able to make these decisions. But I want to give you a chance right now to make that decision. Now sing, hymn of invitation. God's tugging on your heart. Respond. Thank you.